I was born and raised in San Francisco until the age of five, and then I moved to Southern California. I remember as early as three or four years old, my mom bringing me to church. Two Bible stories stick out. Samson and his hair, Gideon having the 300 guys that really stood up. I think I wanted to be more like Samson, to tell you the truth. I think it was the strength and, and the hair, probably. I wanted to be a strong man who doesn't, especially as a kid. Pressures of going to school and living life amongst the world tends to weigh on someone. I started drinking, smoking cigarettes and weed from later high school days. Drinking heavily before I graduated from high school. I came back to San Francisco in 2005. My daily habits included drinking, smoking cigarettes, smoking marijuana. I stayed up at all hours of the day and the evening. Like that on top of my insatiable appetite for sex at that time was really hard for me to stay in a place where I felt like I was living a life that's pleasing to God. I think the, the moments of happiness were fleeting. They were, they were only moments. There wasn't that true, genuine joy that sits with a person to where you can say, I wake up and I'm alive. I wake up and I'm thriving. There was always that conviction that what I was doing was wrong. That conviction I felt was implanted in me as a young child going to church. I met Kat through my cousin. He tricked me and told me that she was interested in me and that she was looking for me. Kat found Cornerstone on the internet. And so we got there and it just seemed right. It felt like I was in the right spot. I basically made a choice to do the only thing I felt like I could, and that was, was serve. I didn't feel at the time that I, I could just quit smoking and quit drinking. It wasn't a desire in me to want to quit all that stuff just yet, but I knew that I needed to do something to move forward and serving and getting into a small group was it. I remember laying in my bed, really wanted to get some rest. So I stood up to grab my bubbler and pack it full of weed. This time was a lot different because there was a hesitation in me to do it. In that moment, I felt like I had to make a choice was I gonna dispose this out of my life, something I knew that had been holding me back, something I knew that had been harming me? Or was I gonna continue to lie to myself? Was I gonna continue to engage in something that was holding me down, was dragging me down? Yeah, I grabbed the device, got up out of my bed, walked over to the trash can and shattered it. I had to get rid of the weed too. I had to throw all of it out and that was even harder. By the time I got back onto my bed, I was just feeling very, very far from God. That there was no way the Lord was ever gonna forgive me for how I behaved. I knew too much about what I was doing was wrong and there was no way he could forgive me. There I am laying in my bed and I just felt just this overwhelming, just warm blanket cover me up and just tell me like, it's okay. Everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna get a lot different from now on and uh, your life's gonna be changed. It was the character Abba Father. He came down and showed me what it is like to have a dad that loves you. What it's like to have a dad hold you when you're just feeling completely beaten. When you're feeling at the end of everything you are. 
I'd never felt that kind of perfect love to where everything that I had done, everything that I was doing and everything that I could ever do that is wrong, it doesn't matter, he loves you. That one moment was the beginning of a deep relationship with my savior. Two months after I made that decision, I had a new job. A month after that, I was baptized and I made a choice to live for Jesus. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has plans for us, plans to give us hope and a future. That's so true. Several short months after that, I was engaged and married. And now I'm a member of a parking team. I lead one at Merced. Life is still a struggle at times, and it's still hard to trust him through certain things, but there's things behind me that I could look back at and say, I trusted him then, and he had me. And not only was it what I had planned, it was even better. so many uh, stories that are going on around us. Um, there are people just like all of us who are, who are beginning this life with God of growth and experiencing him in new ways, trying to move forward in faith. And, you know, you can be a beginning, a beginning in our walk with God or way, you know, been doing it for a number of years or maybe not even there yet, but God's calling all of us to a point of, of improvement, of growth, of expansion, experiencing his, his real touch in, in a very vital way. And so, you know, again, I was thinking about what Jeremy said. It was very interesting because you're listening, to, as you listen to that, what was being shared there, he, he made the point that, you know, he, he made a decision to get involved before he actually had worked through some of these, these larger issues that he was struggling with. And, um, you know, it, it's a reminder that serving is something that we sometimes see, well, I have to get all my, you know, I have to get better. I get everything perfectly taken care of or, you know, make sure that everything is, is prepared properly so that I can now do something with the church. And, and I think what he illustrates is that it's not about being perfect at all. I mean, honestly, if perfection was a prerequisite for service, there'd be nobody serving, right? I mean, it'd be, there'd be nobody greeting us. Uh, no, nobody's up here right now. So it, we're, all, we're all people in process. And um, we, we're trying at Cornerstone uh, to really create an environment and a community where everybody is trying to challenge ourselves to grow and to live with integrity and trying to honor God's words because they work. And we want to experience the freedom he wants to give us. 
At the same time, we want to be honest about the fact that even, even as Jeremy mentioned, you know, there are times, even after we've known him, we can fall back and we can struggle. There might be areas where we're getting breakthrough in, in, in one area, and it's an amazing thing. And in another area, it's just been hard to get past it. And then we may even find ourselves getting a little discouraged by our inability to really break out of some of this stuff. But I'm going to tell you, God's grace is there for all of us. He really does love us. I think his love often shows up, and, and it's when also I maybe have felt most emotional about it, is what, you, and what we saw with Jeremy as well, is when we think we're least deserving, almost unforgivable. Like, I knew better. That was one of the things he said. How could he, I mean, it was one, in his mind, it was like, if you, if you didn't know, that's one thing. But if you knew and you did it anyway, well, that's where God drew the line. And, and yet, I think what we saw there is that, well, no, that's, that's what we call grace. <laughs> that's, that's when the Lord's love for us goes beyond what we deserve into the area of, I just, I'm giving you a gift. And it keeps on giving. It's amazing. So, Again, this has been what we've been exploring this, this uh, summer and this idea of advancing in faith, moving forward. We're going to be hearing from uh, someone who's a part of our church summer speaking uh, community. Uh, Libby Vincent's been now sharing for almost 10 years with us in the summertime. It's kind of a custom. In fact, just a, a quick FYI on that note, and I'll get back to where I was just about to say, is that if you ever do want to know who's speaking on what weekend, um, periodically it, it might happen that you have an interest. You just go to our, our webpage. You just, at the top, there's says summer speakers. You, you just hit it, right? You hit it, and there it comes up. It'll show you, and you get an idea. We've got some real, I'm going to be sharing the next three, about three of the next four weeks, but then we've got a, a group of speakers coming. Uh, Jeff Louis coming back. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Francis Chan. We've got David Brickner. So really looking forward to the, the rest of the summer, but we want to sit with what Libby's going to be sharing with us. I, I mentioned that Libby is, is someone that we've known for a while. She's a teacher. She's part of a teaching team, but she's also an adjunct professor at Fuller Seminary, her area. She's a theologian. She, she teaches systematic theology there. That's one of my alma maters. So we have a connection there as well. But one thing about Libby that I've always enjoyed and appreciated, and I think it's one of the reasons she's such a great fit here, is that um, she doesn't like take herself too seriously. And uh, she doesn't get lost in theological uh, ramblings necessarily. Um, it has a place at times. But she really brings the word into a very practical way of applying it to our life. And it, it, it just, you usually walk away going, wow, you know, I didn't think of it that way, and God's speaking to me there. So I'm hoping and I believe we'll be strengthened by what we're about to hear. Let's give Libby a warm welcome. Can we do that? Thank you. Great, great to be here as always. I want to start my message today by asking you guys a question, and it's pretty straightforward and simple. How many of you would consider yourselves morning people? You like to get up early, greet the day, embrace that moment? Okay, just a few of you. That's what I thought. Uh, how many of you are nighttime people? Love the late nights? And, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, that's God's way, obviously, but... <laughs> not have a good relationship with mornings. I do not like them. I wish they wouldn't happen, except if they didn't happen, then I would be dead. But I just don't like getting up. I could get up at 6, at 10, at noon. It wouldn't matter. Because I would have to be getting out of bed. And I don't like waking up. Anyone who knows me well knows this about me, that mornings are not my best friend. My family knows this particularly well. Uh, in fact, my family understands that really it's dangerous to be near me in the morning. Uh, 
they've learned that really the best thing to do in the morning is just pretend like I'm not there until I have uh, my first cup of coffee. Uh, my coffee addiction is the one addiction I am not in recovery for uh, because it gets me going into my day. It, it just kind of helps me to get a little bit more energized and get focused. And so everybody in my house knows do not talk to mom, do not touch her, do not look at her, don't even think about her until you hear her take her first sip of coffee, which evidently I slurp because people can hear it. I come downstairs in the morning, and my family scatters like insects <laughs> until they hear that. So imagine how irritated I was a couple weeks ago when I came downstairs, and our two dogs were clamoring to be fed. And they had to be fed right then and right now. And so I had my coffee. I put it down. I fed the dogs. I came back up. I was really looking forward to that first sip. It's going to be great. I picked it up, and there was nothing in it. Evidently, my 14-year-old son has become a fan of coffee lately. I didn't realize this. And he, while I was feeding the dogs, walked over to the table, took the cup, drank the coffee, and because he's totally a gentleman, put it right back where he found it. <laughs> Looking at that cup, all I could see were uh, little tiny coffee grounds. And it was really as though in that moment they became personified and said to me, we are so, so sorry for you. <laughs> But we're really sorry for your family, <laughs> rightfully so. I don't like my cup to be empty. I think if you look at the world we live in, that whole idea of being empty isn't something that we're a big fan of. I mean, think about it. If somebody says to you, and you're sort of empty-headed, that's not a compliment, just in case you were wondering. Uh, you're in a restaurant, your water glass, your coffee cup, your Coke, whatever it is starts to go down to the bottom, and immediately someone seems to be there to fill it back up. They don't want it to be empty. Empty plates are taken away. I have yet to meet someone who, when they are on the freeway and their gas tank is empty, they are happy. And I have never seen someone doing a dance of joy at the ATM machine when the screen says, your account is empty. <laughs> we don't like to be empty. So it doesn't surprise me, actually, that something that we don't like and that we shy away from is something that God particularly values and wants to draw us towards. If we see emptiness as a vice, God sees it as a virtue. And as we continue in the summer series, Compadere, Advancing with Faith, we're going to talk today about the idea of moving forward in our faith by learning and embracing and living out emptiness. And we're going to do that by looking at a text in the book of Philippians. If you open up your handout, you can see it right there, Philippians chapter 2, first 11 verses. I'm going to read those for you, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. If you have any encouragement from be being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude 
should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a big, wonderful chunk of scripture. I mean, there's so much in there that is encouraging to us, that pushes us to move forward in our faith. But this, this morning, I, I just want to talk about one aspect of it. And that's this idea that we advance in our faith by becoming people who become empty by choosing the path of humility. We empty ourselves by choosing the path of humility. Now, Paul talks about humility in a couple different ways in this passage. The first way he talks about it is he says, if we want to be people who move forward in faith, we need to learn how to empty ourselves by giving up some things so that we can gain. We, get, we give up so we can gain. We let go of the stuff that holds us back in our faith so that we can receive what God has for us to move forward. Every year, uh, we clean our closets out twice a year. So in January, after the holidays, we clean out the closets. And in June, at kind of at the beginning of summer. And this is sort of my uh, project. I've, I've been delegated the closet cleaner in our house, uh, evidently because I'm sort of ruthless when it comes to throwing things out. I don't have as deep of attachment as the rest of my family does. So we started our project, and what I do is I go through the closets and pull stuff out, and we put it in piles, and we bag it up, and we give it away. And uh, I was doing this and gone through all the rooms, and then my 15-year-old daughter, Maggie, came to me because my daughter, Maggie, has uh, like probably one of the most generous hearts I know, but she's also burdened with uh, the gift of sentimentality, uh, which I do not have, because notice I said it's a burden. Uh, she is very sentimental, and so she finds it really difficult to give things away. So her room is like a shrine to, to her life. I mean, really, it, it, you walk in, and you're like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And so she says, Mom, I need you to come and help me with the cleaning out of the closets, because you're mean-spirited, and I'm not. <laughs> And so you can do it. Now, I think that was a compliment. I'm taking it as one. So I, I went in, and I kind of made a path and sat on the bed. I'm not sure what was growing there, but I sat there. And so we start. And she pulls something out of the closet. And this is sort of how it goes with me. She pulls it. I go, no, 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 goes in the pile. Uh, she's going to high school in the fall. So when something came out I really don't like, I go, yeah, no high school student I know would ever wear that. Throw it in the pile. So we got through a lot of clothes. I mean, probably the length of the, of, the, of the carpet here and about that high. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. And I was really proud of her, because I know it's hard for her to do this. So I said, you did an awesome job. I'm so proud of you. Way to clean it out. Let's bag it up and give it away. And this is where we hit an impasse. 
Because she looked at me and she said, what do you mean give it away? And I go, well, we're bagging it up. We're giving it away. And she says, hey, mom, that doesn't work for me. And I said, really? And she said, oh, yeah, no. I want you to take these clothes, put them in boxes, and, and store them in the garage. Because you know, I might want to give them to my daughter one day. <laughs> I said, are you serious? She said, oh, yeah. And I go, is there something that you're not telling me that we need to be saving these clothes for? You're 15. She's like, nope, I want to save them. So I thought, OK, I'll negotiate. I'm going to do a little negotiating with her. So I'm like, honey, really, I mean, look at we don't have space in the garage for boxes. No, mom, I want, to, I want to keep them. And then I got kind of the firm mom voice. We've all, you know, if you've had a mother, you know the voice. Every mother has one. And I sort of ratcheted it up. And I was like, you know what, Maggie? We're giving these clothes away. That's what we're doing today. That's what we agreed to. We're putting them in bags, and we're taking them away. No, no, I don't want to do that. So I reached deep into my bag of mom tricks, and I pulled out spiritual manipulation, because I think that's super healthy. <laughs> and I turned to her, and I said, hey, Maggie, there are children in the world who have no clothes. <laughs> and I know Jesus would want us to give these to them. That's what happens when you have a mother who's a pastor. And she looked at me, and she started, almost started laughing. She's like, no way, mom. So I finally gave up, and I said, OK, look, if you want new clothes, you have to get rid of the clothes. Bingo! Ding, 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 ding. There it was. The clothes went. <laughs> we came to realize that in order to get something, we had to get rid of something. And this is really what Paul's talking about in Philippians 2. In order for us to gain, there are things we have got to get rid of. He mentions three specific ones in the text, selfish ambition, a vain conceit and self-interest. Now, when I, whenever I read this passage, but when I was preparing for this message, I read that and I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I hit the trifecta. Because I am selfishly ambitious. I can be really conceited. And on a number of times on any given day, I want the world to revolve around me. <laughs> now, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe, maybe you hear that and you go, oh man, yeah, I'm, that's where I am. Maybe you think, well, no, there's really only one of those that I struggle with. Maybe some of you are like, I don't struggle with any of those. Well, here's the good news for you. Clearly, you struggle with pride. So put that on your list. <laughs> the reality is, is that we have to let go. I really like the way uh, the translation, the message, puts this little section. Let me, let me read it for you. Uh, Eugene Peterson translates it this way. Don't push your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I really like the way he puts that. He makes it so clear that for us to be people who are moving forward in our faith, for us to be people who are willing to empty ourselves, we need to be willing to get rid of the things that prevent us from moving forward. That's the first way we become people who are more humble. We get rid of what we don't need in our lives, whatever it might be. The second thing Paul tells us to do is if we're going to be people who embrace humility, then we have to allow God to fill us and to practice humility. Now, before I unpack that for us, I want to just take a minute and talk about this idea of humility in general. And I want to start by talking about what it isn't, what humility is not. Humility is not 
humiliation. There may be things that we do in life that humiliate us, but that is not the same as being humble. God is not wandering around on any given day thinking, who could I humiliate today to lead them towards the path of being humble? That's not how God works. We might learn from our humiliations. That might draw us towards humility, but they are not the same thing. Nor is humility uh, self-degradation. Sometimes we kind of get into the practice of sort of cutting ourselves down, thinking that that's humble. So if someone gives you a compliment like, hey, I really, I really like what you said. And then you, this is often what we hear. Well, you know, I don't really think what I said was that great. I mean, really, the people are so much smarter than I am. And I kind of fumbled over my words. And on and on it goes until you're, you're sort of thinking, I, didn't ask, I, don't, I don't want that information. I didn't ask for it. Just say, thank you. But sometimes in our mind, we, we mix it up and we think, well, if I'm self-degradating, then people will think I'm humble. But those are not the same thing either. So what is humility? Well, it's actually, I think, pretty simple. Humility is simply seeing ourselves for who we are in relationship to who God is. It's seeing who God is, and it's seeing who we are and understanding what that relationship is. When I think about God and when I read the Bible and when I study, I, I, I look at God and I go, you know, God is so much bigger than my vision. God is so much smarter than I am. God is so much wiser. God is definitely more kind and thoughtful than I am. And God has a love that is uh, never-ending and unconditional, and so on and so on and so on. No one has ever mistaken me for God, <laughs> except myself. <laughs> no one, when you're walking down the streets of San Francisco, is going to walk up to you and go, if I could just touch her or him, <laughs> then I would be healed. They, they might touch you, but that's not the reason why. I mean, the reality is, is there's nothing we can do, no matter how hard we try, that's going to make us be God. Because God is God, and we are not. And so humility simply means this. I look at God, and I say, God, I need you in my life. Because I cannot become the person you created me to be without you. It's simply recognizing our need and knowing that God is the one to fill it. That's all humility is. Now, Paul tells us that uh, it's not a list of things we do to be humble. It's a mindset. Uh, he goes to, uh, to the example of Jesus. And he says, your mindset, your attitude needs to be like the mindset and the attitude of Jesus. So what Paul's telling us, and because our, our temptation is always to make the list. Well, I'll do this, 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 and this, and then I'll be whatever. And Paul says it's not about the list. It's about the heart. It's about how you think. It's about how you view people and you view the world and how you view yourself. And so Paul challenges us by saying, look, if you don't know what it looks like or you can't quite understand what that mindset is, Look at Jesus, and he, and, he, and he describes it so beautifully in verses 5 through 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and gave himself the name, sorry, and became a servant, and humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. He gives us that picture. Now, we might hear that and, and think, I can't do that. I can't be Jesus. And, and it's true. We can't be Jesus. God is in the business of filling us and changing us to become more and more like Jesus. None of us can do that on our own power. It takes the power of, of God in us, of, of us letting go of those things that are holding us back and letting God fill us so that we can move forward. But there is something we can do, and that is we can practice humility. We can practice emptying ourselves and taking on humility. A couple of ways I think that we can do that. And, and the first one is this. I think we can become people who are emptied and, and are more humble when we step out of an entitlement mentality. Um, here's how I describe an entitlement mentality. I exist, therefore I deserve. I'm alive, so I should have everything that I want. It's often couched in this phrase, it's my right to. It's my right to be happy. Uh, it's my right to have uh, a lot of money. It's my right to have a better car. It's my right to have a house. It's my right to bum, 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 bum. Fill in the blank. Maybe you've said it. If you haven't said it, I know you've thought it, because I have. That's a problem. Because the one person in human history who actually could say it's my right and I deserve is the one person in human history who gave it all up. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who could have said, I am entitled to be in charge. It is my right to have things my way because I'm God. And yet, he chose to let that go for the sake of the world so that we could gain. He let go so we could gain. We let go of that kind of mentality. I, I was in Target recently, and it was, a busy, it was a busy day, and there were lots of lines, and I happened to be by myself. So I was standing in line, and I was doing what I love to do, which I watch other people. I just find it fascinating. <laughs> and uh, so I was standing in line, and then the line next to me was equally as long as mine. And, there was a woman in line, and she had like three items. And she was like next up to the checker. And then behind her was um, a group of, of young adults, young professionals perhaps. And they were, I think, having a barbecue or something. Because their cart was just packed. You know, just tons of stuff. Chips and you know, hamburger buns and all kinds of stuff. And they were having a great time. They were chatting. They were laughing. You know, so I was kind of watching them. And then something changed. The climate in that group shifted. Now, I didn't want to be really obvious about my eavesdropping and staring, so <laughs> I, I didn't actually hear what happened. But what I could see was that people were starting to get tense with each other. Uh, sentences, they were more clipped. People's faces were kind of you know, tight and stressed out. And you know, this is not my Target experience. My, I have pleasant experiences at Target, so this was disturbing to me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm looking over, I'm thinking, we're having a lot of unpleasantness at Target. This is not OK. 
I kept watching. And finally, the woman in front of this group turned around to them, and she said to them, hey, you know what? Uh, why don't you guys go in front of me? Because it looks like maybe you need to get out of here sooner than I do. Now, technically, it was this woman's right to be at her place in line. She had scoped it out. You know, she had gotten in line. She was next to go. She had three items. She was entitled to her place. But she chose to step behind someone else for their benefit, to look to their interests. Because obviously, for whatever reason, they needed to get out. That's what I'm talking about. You know, what's interesting, Paul doesn't say you can't have any self-interest. He doesn't say humility is no interest in self. What he says is, don't think only of your interests, but also think of the interests of others. Put others before you. Doesn't mean don't get your needs met or don't be filled. It means think about the other and let them go ahead. This is exactly the model that Jesus gives us. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe you're going through the drive through coffee place. And you know how sometimes you're in a car and another car, you come up right at the same time to get into the line? And like in your head, you're thinking, oh, no, you are not going in front of me. <laughs> and let me tell you, that's hard for me with the whole coffee situation. You know, I, I, I just want to cut in and be like, too bad. But maybe instead you go, you know, I'm going to get my coffee. It might take five more minutes. Go. Go ahead. You know, there's myriads of ways we can do it, and they don't have to be huge ways. It's our mindset. It's how we think. So suddenly, we're not so obsessed with being first in line and number one and getting our way. Because at the end of the day, here's what we know about who God is. God will meet our needs. That is a truth. So we don't have to be so worried about hoarding it and keeping it and taking it from someone else, because our needs will get met. And if we think this way, here's what happens. It goes around and around and around. If I think, what's the need of someone else? They're thinking, what's the need of someone else and someone else? And eventually, someone's behind me thinking, what's her need? Or what's your need? So we step out of that entitlement mentality. The second thing we do is, is we can serve other people. It's so interesting to me how God works, because I had no idea we were going to see a video and hear Jeremy's story today. I had no idea that in his story he was going to talk about one of the ways he really started to advance in his faith was by serving. I, didn't, I don't know Jeremy. We've never talked. I didn't, we didn't call each other and go, hey, can you put that in your story even if it's not true? <laughs> he just told the story. And here I am up here saying, what's one of the ways we advance in faith and become more humble? We serve. So maybe God is trying to tell us something today. We serve others. You know, uh, the word actually in Philippians, when it says Jesus took the form of a servant, is actually the word slave. And slaves have no rights of their own. They have no entitlement. They own nothing. They're barely people. And Jesus, who was everything, chose to take on the role of a nothing so that we could be served, so that we could have a future and a hope and purpose and life. We, we serve others. We think about their needs. How could I step in, in big and small ways? You know, it's interesting, Jesus. He starts at the highest place, God. 
He was God. And in this text, he just keeps going lower and lower and lower and lower all the way to the grave. And then there's a little word in that text, therefore, which changes everything. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Therefore, God lifted him up. Therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. When we go lower, God takes us higher. Now, it's not about uh, exaltation so that people exalt me or you. It's exaltation so that God looks at us and exalts us and says, look at, look at you. You have become just a little bit more like Jesus. Look at you. You're advancing in faith. Look at you. You've emptied yourself out. So I can fill you. And you can be used. I wonder if the next time maybe we come across an empty plate or an empty coffee cup, and we look in it, we might be reminded of what Paul's telling us today, which is the greatest paradox that exists in the Christian life, that the way you gain your life is to lose it. The way you are served is by serving. The way you are filled is by emptying. That's what it means. So when we walk out of here today, we hold fast to that emptiness. Because when we're empty, we're truly full. And that is what advancing in faith is all about. In a minute, the band's going to come up, and they're going to close out the service for us. Before that, we're going to have a time of giving, and it's just an opportunity for us to, to respond, really, to say thank you to God. You've given me everything. You've emptied yourself out. I'm going to respond in kind. So let, let's pray together. God, we're grateful that you didn't just tell us what emptiness looked like. You were emptiness. You showed us, and we need you to help us. We need you to help us be people who embrace being empty by taking the path of humility. Oh, God, would you do that in our lives today? Would you help us to step out of our entitlements and to serve others and to know that as we are lower, you raise us up. We give back to you because you've given to us. We love you because you first loved us. And we thank you for all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.